The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Can we get up for Shane? Um, just so you are aware, this is actually Shane's first series that he has put together for our church. Um, so you will actually hear him preach uh, more through this series uh, than you will me. Can we give it a hand for that? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, is that good? That's a good thing, uh, but it is, uh, it's great for him to get the opportunities to try and put together a, a series and help our church grow and just gain more experience. Uh, and so we greatly appreciate you, brother, and we are looking forward to, to continue to learn. Um, who here dreams a lot? There's a few of you who are dreaming right now as I ask that question, like, huh? Um, dreams are a weird thing. <clears throat> Uh, scientists, psychologists, everyone in that realm still really doesn't know why we have dreams. There's many different reasons for them. We have different types of dreams. Um, sometimes we have dreams where we wake up and we are super anxious, right? And we're, we're like, you kind of got the hearts beating. You're like, that dream felt so real and you're not sure whether the dream was real or not real. Um, I often will have dreams. I don't have a lot of dreams, but I'll often have dreams where I'm aware that I'm dreaming and now I'm trying to control the dream. Dreams are an interesting thing. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream and it has impacted him. He is restless, he is uh, unsettled, and he is going to go through a process of trying to work out what in the world is going on. And so what Daniel wants to do in this particular passage, he wants to kind of create a collision course of, of two characters and then eventually two kingdoms which is kind of the, the idea of this entire series, is that these kingdoms collide. And that's essentially what this, this dream uh, is all about. And if you were here last week and the week before, basically these, these groups of people have been taken and have been brought into exile into the Babylonian Empire, and they are currently being schooled and trying to be assimilated in. And so there is these moments that you're going to see throughout this series where God just reminds us that he is the sovereign king that he is in charge of all things, he is in control of all things, and he will do as he wants to do. And if you are with God, that's a good thing because not only is God powerful and can, he is personal and cares, and he is a good, good God. So I want to start this just by looking at these couple of characters. So I want to start with looking at the idea of Nebuchadnezzar, looking at three things that we see with him in the first part of this passage. Okay, The first thing we see is that he is restless. He cannot sleep. So it says in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is, uh, Neb has been basically uh, named after the Babylonian god of wisdom, Nabu. He's supposed to be this all-powerful king. He's, they've defeated the Assyrians. Uh, they're basically ruling over the whole Mesopotamia area. They, they are the, the biggest kingdom at, at historical stage that we know of. His rule and reign, he is super powerful. He's supposed to be this all-powerful king yet he's restless. When you are, have all power, when you are in all control, you don't get restless. But this king is restless. Why is he restless? Well, because he's had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled, it says, and his sleep left him. Verse 3, and the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Now, in our modern sort of West culture, when we think about dreams, we, we tend to think that dreams are purely part of the subconscious. It's somehow, it's communicating to us, it's regular, regulating emotions, 
Uh, it's helping us problem solve this, but it's, but it's an internal thing that comes from within. In an ancient culture, dreams were something which came from without. It's the way that the gods interjected into humanity and basically tried to communicate something. And it would always be some sort of warning. That's typically what it is. So Neb gets this dream. He's troubled by it. And he realizes the gods are trying to tell me something. And he's freaking out. What are they telling me? What are they trying to warn me? And if you read scripture, we see that God also speaks to his people in dreams. I don't know if you've ever had a dream. I've heard of people who have in the middle of the night while they're sleeping had a dream that they felt like maybe that was God telling them to pray for someone in the church or someone overseas because something might happen. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream. He is restless. He doesn't understand what the gods are trying to communicate, but he knows it's important. Second thing we see is that because he's restless, he needs help. So this all-powerful king can't even interpret his own dream. So he has to go to others. So it says that he goes to these magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Eventually, it's just going to keep using the term the Chaldeans just as a summary for all of these people. Now, now these guys in the kingdom, they really just have one job. They interpret dreams. They have manuals where they, they have certain things that might be in a dream, and they kind of go, okay, if you have, a, if you have a, a, an apple in a dream, it means this. If you have a cow in a dream, it means this. And so they've kind of got all these books. They've been studying this stuff for years. And so because he cannot interpret the dream for himself, he has to go down. He has to go to those who are beneath him. And just a, just a side note here, it says that um, in verse 4, it says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, this is just like a bit of a nerd fact. From this verse all the way up to chapter 8, this is actually written in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. No one actually gives us a good, good enough reason to really understand why that. Most of the Old Testament is just written in Hebrew. We see a little bit of Aramaic in the New Testament. But for some reason, these next eight chapters essentially uh, are written in Aramaic. Just go and nerd that thing out, chat GPT it, Google it, whatever. It's interesting fact. So this supposedly all-powerful king can't interpret the dream. He doesn't have the ability to do that. He needs some help and he goes to those who are down beneath him and can they help him? No. They can't do it because they can only work off raw data. Tell us a dream, we've got a whole lot of books. Without the dream, we don't have the raw data to go to our books to reference to be able to actually tell you what these things mean. And so over and over he says, make known to me the dream and its interpretation. Show the dream and its interpretation. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And he is hoping that these Chaldeans, trained in ancient divination, that they can go to their dream manuals, but they can't. And the author wants us to see Nebuchadnezzar can't. These trained men can't he can't go up to the gods either this is not how pagan religions work you would have noticed there uh, in verse 11 it said the thing that the kings ask is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods because they're the ones who gave the dream however the gods don't make their dwelling with flesh they don't talk to us we don't have a relationship with the gods all we do with the gods is seek to appease them so that we don't die. And Nebuchadnezzar's problem is they've told us something through a dream. We can't appease that. 
So he is restless. He is stressed. And this is something that then leads to the third thing. Now he is fearful. Now he is angry. Now he is irrational. Is this not how we act when we feel out of control? When we have a heightened sense of emotion where we don't know what to do, our emotions go and just start leading all the decisions that we make. And this is what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. So this, this guy is named over the God of wisdom, has no wisdom. Because look at what he does. Okay, if you can't tell me the dream, nor interpret the dream of which I need you to do, I'm going to kill all of you. Which leaves him with how many people who could potentially help him interpret the dream? Super smart plan there, Neb. Way to go. I can't interpret the dream. I have a whole like school of people being trained to help interpret the dream. If they can't tell it to me, I'm just going to wipe them all off the face of the planet. How many people here, when you heard that being read this morning, were like, that escalated pretty quickly? Okay. There's a lot of holes in Nebuchadnezzar's walls in his palace because he just gets angry and reacts. Why? Because he is a man who thinks he should be in control and is not in control. And when you think you are in control and you can't be in control, you lose it. He has no one to go to, no one who can help him. Even these men are like, the thing you are trying to gain, uh, to, to, to get us to do, no one can do it. Only the kings, uh, only the gods can do it, but they're not with us. And so the king gets angry. He gets irrational. Verse 12 says, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree goes out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. In other words, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that's kind of their, 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 their names. They're a part of this school being trained in this stuff. They're, they're still in the training and he's like, well, we're not only going to kill everyone who is already schooled, we're also going to kill those who are about to be schooled. So now their lives are now on the line. Nebuchadnezzar is irrational. He is losing it. And I think the author wants us to see, but that's not how God's people are acting. So now we go to Daniel, verse 14. Then it says, so they come up, they tell Daniel what's going on, and then it says, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. The New American Standard Bible says, and Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. The NIV says with wisdom and tact. Don't you love this? The king, who's literally ruling over the entire Mesopotamia region, is completely irrational. Daniel is wise and discerning. Daniel knows this thing, this little saying which says, like, sleep on it. Don't make a decision. When you are so high or you're so low, is the worst time to make a decision. Go and sleep on it. Take your time. Don't, don't rush. Daniel is thinking. Daniel is seeking wisdom. Then it says that Daniel then goes seeks help from alongside and above. This is the opposite of Nebuchadnezzar. The writer wants you to see this. So, so it says in verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the manner known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Read the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has no friends. He has no companions. He has no mates who he can share the load with. It's him at the top and minions below him. And his minions can't do the job. He can't do the job. 
But Daniel has friends. We had a men's night last night. Big bonfire. Ate lots of meat. My wife has chosen to still stay married to me, which is great because she is a vegan. So pray, continue to pray for her heart, just to work towards forgiveness of that event. But it was lovely. And we were encouraged last night that as men, what we need is other men. We need friends. We need mates who we can go to and go, I'm struggling. This is where life's really at. We need companions. This is why we have the church, because we've got companions for what we are going through. And I love that he's got these guys, these companions. And then what does he do? He goes, hey, friends, hey, companions, we can go up. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What does he do? He goes, okay, Nebuchadnezzar can't go up. Why? The wise men, the magicians, the the Chaldeans, they can't go up. Why? Because the gods don't make their dwelling with flesh. Not God's people. They can go up to their God and pray and seek and ask. And that's exactly what they do. See, see Daniel is self-assured, but he's not self-reliant. He's able to be calm. He's able to be wise. He's able to, 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 to just think not because of his own strength, because he knows who is with him. He knows the access of who he has. What are you going through right now that you are, you're neglecting the fact that you have God above, that you can go to, you can talk to, you can sleep on it and know he knows what he's doing and he is good. D. Duke said this, he said, almost everyone believes that prayer is important. But there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. Someone once said to me, I can tell what you feel you are sufficient in by how little you pray. Just like a dagger. It's just like, just cut, cut me open. <laughs> There's all these things I don't pray for. Why? Because I think I've got it. It's interesting when crisis hits how we get on our knees. The question is, why does it take us till we get to crisis? And so Daniel is also number three, rest, restful. Look how calm he is. Now, can I just remind us, young people in the room, he's a teenager. He ain't a 40-year-old 40, 40 middle-aged man who's experienced a whole lot of life. He's a young boy. It does not matter how old we are. If you know God, you got God. And you can have God as a 10-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, 75-year-old person. I love this. It says, And Daniel went in and requested uh, the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. That's verse 16. This is the very thing that the, the Chaldeans were asking for. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, I know what you're doing. You're trying, to, you're trying to get time to sleep on it. Daniel does the exact same thing and goes in, just give, me, just give me a day. And his request gets granted. He, he is so calm. His life is on the line. He knows that if he doesn't get the interpretation of this dream, they are gone. <laughs> Yet he is so calm. They were trying to get time. They were trying to stall. Now he's stalling and he gets time. But then look at this, verse 19. I love this verse. 
It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. What does that mean Daniel is doing? He's having a nap. In this story, all the visions are coming through dreams in the night when people are asleep. So they've gone, hey guys, this is what's going on. This is the threat that we're under. So let's go up to God and ask for mercy. Let's pray. Then I'm going to go to the king who's He's captured us and he's telling us he's going to slaughter us and I'm going to ask for a day and then we're going to come back and pray and then we're going to just sleep. How many people here struggle when you've got stress, pressure, finances, job stuff to sleep at night because we are restless? The only antidote to restlessness is knowing God who is with you and in control and in your corner. And so you you do the things that you can do. So one of my favorite sayings is live like an Arminian and then sleep like a Calvinist. It's like I'm going to do everything I can do in my own strength. And then over here, God's sovereign over all things, snoozing. Another just good line for you all. Some of you like, don't even know the words. I know. Daniel is this non-anxious presence in one of the most anxious, pressure-filled moments. One commentator said, The lives of Daniel, his friends, and all the wise men of Babylon are at stake. The request of the king is an impossible one to obey without divine intervention. Either God acts or they are finished. It is game over what Daniel does when faced with such an impossible situation is exemplary he prays he gets some rests and then as we saw he gets the revelation and he just praises God you are the God who reveals mysteries you're the God who's in control of all things thank you Jesus you're amazing this is the way he lives his life and he is an example to us and notice that the contrast is between the all-powerful king and the enslaved young boy. And it is the enslaved young boy who is calm, patient, in control. The only thing that the the writer is trying to get you to ask is how. It's because he knows Yahweh. He knows Elohim. And he knows that he is the sovereign king. And then we get to the encounter between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar in the dream. I don't know if you picked this up, but one of the first things he does, if you read this, is he actually starts thinking about all the other magicians and encanters and Chaldeans. So when he goes in and sees the king, he's like, please don't kill them. If you remember last week, Shane reminded us that in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah prophesies one of the favorite sort of mug stickers, picture frame office desk quotes that God has a plan for us, a plan, a purpose for us, that that it is good. It's a good plan for our future to prosper us and hope. And that was given as they're getting taken into exile. Further on in Jeremiah, he says, and when you get to exile, I want you to build I want you to build your houses. I want you to marry. I want you to build gardens. And I want you to think about the city. I want you to love the city. And actually calls the people who are getting taken and captured from their thing over to this city and go, love the city, serve the city, wish the city well. And here he is under the most amount of pressure and he's thinking about the city. 
He's thinking about those people who don't know Jesus, don't know God, don't know Yahweh. And he's like, don't kill them. I love that. I find it hard to think about anyone when I'm under pressure. When there's stuff going on, it's just like, it just narrows my world. And here is Daniel in this world and he is thinking about others. And so I think as we go through this dream quickly and look at its interpretation, I think we are seeing three things. The first thing is that this dream and the interpretation tells us that only the sovereign God of heaven knows all things. Okay, so verse 24 says, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Later on in verse 26, in verse 27, it says, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, encanter, magician, astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Verse 29, to you, O king, as you lay in bed, thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries known to you what is to be. But as for me, this, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom. I'm not better than these guys. I don't have more skill. I don't have more books. I don't know astrology. I love this. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Neb, the Chaldeans were correct. No one can do what you asked. That infuriated the king when they came to him and said, no one can do this. And now he's saying, they were right. No one can do this. No human can do this. But the God of heaven. And you'll see this repeated throughout this book. The idea of the God of heaven is they kind of have Nebuchadnezzar, who's like this almost pseudo God. And then they've kind of got the gods. And so the language of the God of heaven is supposed to say, no, no, there is one God and he is at the top. He is above and beyond your gods. Your gods are impotent. Your gods do not listen. Your gods do not talk. Your gods do not engage. Your gods do not like involve themselves in the matters of the world. Your gods aren't gods, but there is a God of heaven. There is one sovereign God who knows all things. That's encouragement because God knows what's coming up this week in your life that you don't yet know. Every time we hit something and it's hard, we're like, well, we weren't expecting this. We didn't know it was coming. Right? How many people, how many people knew where the interest rates would go? Oh, no hands? Okay, that's interesting. How many knew COVID was coming? We didn't know. Guess who knew? God knew. God was not surprised when COVID hit. God was not surprised at what was happening in the world. And God actually was like working in and through it. Amen? God knew there's stuff there that affected us in a way because we did not know all things. But when COVID hit, if we would have been reminded and gone, hang on, we were not expecting this. We were not ready for this. What is going to happen? We go back up and go, you know, 
and you are good and we belong to you. So we are safe in your hands. Number two, only the sovereign God of heaven can do all things. So this dream that he gets is about this statue. And he says it's mighty and it's bright. And the statue has got these these four different sort of layers. So at the top, there's the, the gold head. You can go read this in your own time. Okay. It's just this golden head and then there's the silver sort of torso. There's a bronze sort of uh, belly and sort of thighs. And then down is iron on the legs and then the feet are made of iron and clay. And the interpretation is the, these are future kingdoms to come. You, you Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, you're the golden head. You're amazing. You're great. You're powerful. You're right up the top. And there are kingdoms that are going to come after you. And we know historically that these, these eventually, when we get down to the iron, are going to be like the Roman Empire. And, and the, the cool thing about this, this dream is like it all looks amazing. It all looks powerful. And then it says, and a stone comes, not made by human hands, and it just smashes the legs of this statue. Iron, bronze, silver, gold. A wee little stone, not made by human hands, is going to crush every single kingdom and bring them down. It is this powerful picture of God. And so while the, the head of gold and Babylon seems powerful, it will one day be no longer. And this has been the story of history. Even now, who's going to rule the world is going on. We've got threats at China and Russia and we've got the US and we've got all of these things. And then above all, we're just worried about what Trump really is going to do. All right. Who's going to rule the world? We, we are living in a world which is at war. And this, this dream is supposed to say to, to Nebuchadnezzar and to everyone, hey, There is one kingdom and it cannot be destroyed. It is the kingdom that will destroy all kingdoms and it will be built and will not be built down, broken down. So verse 37 says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heavens has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. This is Daniel saying, You're not a king because you're good. You're only a king because the God of heaven allows you to be king. And then he says in 44, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. I love this line. This dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. This is the captured prisoner saying to the king, you either submit, you either get on board with this, Oh, you're in trouble, bro. <laughs> oh, I love it when my kids come and just ask me for things, let alone try and tell me things. Dad, can we have this? No. And they come at you like, oh, you come at me, bro. This is going to go really well for you. Like that's, that's a father who loves his children. This is Nebuchadnezzar who wants to kill everyone. And Daniel is lying, God has spoken. You better work out what you're doing. 
It's wild. Get ready for the Nebuchadnezzar story. Get, get ready. I mean, we saw a little bit of a thing on the, on the kids' takeover. It's wild. I think we're just going to get them up again just to do that. Is that the plan for that week? They're just going to redo the story. <laughs> this raises all sorts of questions for us because what Daniel is saying, what God is saying through this dream is everybody is building their life on a foundation. Everybody does this. Everybody is serving a kingdom. What are you building your life on? If we are building our lives upon the culture and the, and the things of this world, they are fleeting. We cannot trust what is going on in our world. We cannot trust the way that money is going to be handled in our world. We can't trust all of this, but we can trust the King of Kings, the sovereign God of heaven, and it will last. Whose kingdom are we building? Are we building our own kingdom? When we get that paycheck, who are we thinking about with the money that God has given us to use it for? With our possessions, that, that we spent money earning and doing that thing, like whose are these things? Everything we have belongs to the Lord. It's supposed to be for His kingdom. Whose kingdom are we building? What has our heart? And number three, only the sovereign God of heaven lovingly engages his creation. If you go through and read this, and I encourage you to do it, over and over and over, Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, God of heaven gave you the dream because the God of heaven wants to give you the interpretation of the dream because the God of heaven wants you to live your life under the rule and reign of the sovereign God. This is God's grace. This is God's love. This is God's kindness to Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking to him. He's speaking to them. He's inviting him into his kingdom. And you will see this more as the, as the book goes on. And then notice again, verse 11, it said, The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Who does Daniel talk to? God. And God talks to Daniel. Do you know why? Because he's actually God. You see, if, if, there is, if there is a God and they can't speak and they can't hear and they can't feel, they can't interact, they're not God. What they are is wood. What they are is stone. Right? So, so, so when we're building idols, this is the problem with idols, we're building the golden calf and now we're going to worship this calf. Everyone's like, it's made out of stuff. It's not a person. It has, it has nothing to contribute. It's dead. This is all throughout the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar is about to build another one of these stupid things and it can't do anything. But if there is a being, a true God, they can talk, they can speak, they can hear, they can listen, they can see and they can interact and this is what the stone is. The stone throughout the whole Old Testament is always speaking about Jesus. 
You see this in Genesis 49. You see this in Psalm 118.22. The stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens of the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And here's the difference between just the stone being a rock and Jesus. The difference between their gods and our God is he doesn't just communicate with us. He doesn't just engage us. He put on flesh. When the New Testament start to hear this, they go back to Daniel. They remember the story. These gods don't even interact, don't dwell with flesh. God comes, dwells with flesh as flesh. This is what makes Christianity awesome. Our God is so good, so kind, that he not only wants to be with us, he became us. Why? So then as us, he could bring us back to the sovereign God of heaven. And this is Daniel's point, pointing to the future when King Jesus, the chief cornerstone, would come. And I just want to say to you, if you don't know this Jesus, you need to meet him. He is the only firm foundation that you have because he never changes. He holds you in the palm of his hands. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the only one who will forgive all of your sins. He is the only one who can offer you grace and mercy and love and care. And this is the picture that Daniel has. is like you are building all of these kingdoms. You are building all these foundations. The stone's going to come and wipe you away, but that stone will be present with his people. End of Revelation, the God-man Jesus Christ in flesh, we will be with him in heaven. He hasn't stopped being human, just so you know. He remains in flesh and we will go and be with him. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are not like the so-called gods of the pagan world. Where when pressure comes, when things happen in a life that we got nowhere to go. No, we have a God who is present, a God that is with, a God that has made his likeness like us in flesh. The evidence that we have that you are good and you are kind and you have come is in your death and resurrection. That you died our death for us and you rose again. And Lord, I don't know where we are today in the room. Some of us, life is good right now. Some of us, life is scary and we don't know what's around the corner and we're faced with all sorts of scary things. Would you just help remind us that Daniel was able to go up to ask for mercy and grace and you met Daniel and you will continue to meet Daniel. You will continue to meet these boys of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You will continue today to meet with your people and be present with us and help us. For you are the God who does dwell with flesh. You are the God who becomes 
flesh. And God, you are the only firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. And I pray that you would help us to build our lives upon you and your kingdom, which is unshakable, eternal, everlasting, and can never be torn down. I pray this in your son's wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.